is in Acts chapter 21, verses 7 through 14. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. We continued our voyage from Tyree and landed at Tolemanus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for days. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After he had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he, when, when he would not be dissuaded, he gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Add my welcome to you. Thank you, Dana and team, for leading us in our worship time this morning. And uh, thank you, Bert, for reading God's Word. You know, when uh, you hear that passage that was just read, and you think about the, uh, the fact that Paul was pretty certain what he was doing, where he was going, was God's will. And yet, his own friends confronted him and challenged that thought. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you thought you were following God's Word, but others thought you weren't? What happened to Pastor Jason and his family some years ago when they felt that God was calling them to go to Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, and other people in their lives said, you're crazy. Why would you leave your job and pick up your family and move all the, the way to Dallas to go to seminary? happened to Pastor Nick. By the way, we are praying for him this morning. You heard Jason pray. His dad fell and broke his hip yesterday. So, so Nick is with his parents, ministering to them, helping them. Hopefully his dad will have surgery today. Maybe he already has. And just pray for his recovery. But some years ago, Nick and Kristen felt God was calling them to go to Texas to take a youth pastorship at a, at a church there. But other people around them said, why would you leave the good job that you have and uproot your family and, and go to this place, this unknown, the unknowns in Texas? It happened to Beth and I some years ago. We were in Houston, Texas at the time. Felt God was calling us to go to Tacoa Falls College in northeast Georgia to serve there. And other people, we asked some friends about this, and they said, you're crazy. Why would you go there? You're going to be paid less money, and you're going to have more work. You can't possibly think that that's God's will. But what do you do when it seems like you're following God's will, but suddenly other people are challenging that? Other people are asking, is that really God's will for you? When it's thrown up in the air like that, how do you deal with that? Well, I'd like for the, you this morning to consider that. What is God's will? How do we know God's will? How do we discern it? How do we take advice from others when it comes to God's will? How do we give advice that's in keeping with God's will? 
Please turn with me to Acts chapter 21 this morning. If you have your Bible, I hope you do, or find one in a rack in front of you or pull it up on your phone or whatever device you have with you. Acts chapter 21, if you've been following in our series here the last few months at, at Trinity, we've been in the book of Acts, and our series is called the, To the Ends of the Earth. And if you were here last week, you know Paul is wrapping up his third missionary journey. And so back to our map again as we have the last couple of weeks here. Let me show you on the screen. Paul's journeyed all the way through. He spent time in Ephesus. He's been going back through Macedonia and Greece, picking up this, uh, strengthening the churches, but also gathering and offering relief efforts for the church back here in Jerusalem. And as we saw last week, he ended up in Miletus. He met with the elders from Ephesus, and that's where we ended in chapter 20. He's determined to go to Jerusalem. He believes God's called him to go to Jerusalem. He wants to take this offering from the Gentile churches to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. But on his way, some people call into question whether that really is where he should be going. Paul believed it was God's will, and others did not. What can we learn about God's will for us from Acts chapter 21? Would you pause with me as we pray this morning? Our Lord God, we acknowledge that sometimes we struggle to, to figure out, to know and discern Your will in our lives, and especially when, when others question what we're doing, when we think we're following Your will. And so, Lord, as we look at Paul in this situation, help us to learn from this, to learn from him, to better understand Your will at work in our lives so that we can be obedient followers of Jesus. And Lord, I pray as I always do, I pray this morning that You would help Guard my words, help me to accurately, correctly communicate your truth for us this morning, knowing, Lord, it must be the power of your living word and your living spirit at work in our hearts, in us, individually, to call us to obedience, to call us to what you want us to learn, what you want us to hold on to and, and, and live out from this passage today. And thank you that you've given us your word, but you've also given us your spirit to reveal that word to us and to our lives. And we pray for that, ask for that, and trust in that this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our first principle about God's will is pretty straightforward this morning. It's simply, God's will can be known. It can be known. Our tendency is to think of God's will as something out there, ethereal, abstract, but it can be known. In fact, we read about Paul's decision to go to Jerusalem. It's earlier it's in chapter 19, verse 21, Luke tells us Paul decided in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And as you look at this verse on the screen, we actually, I put it in parentheses. Let's bring up the next verse here, please. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not that one. I didn't put it on the screen. I guess I didn't. 1921, do we have that on the, on the screen? Maybe not. Okay. Paul decided in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So the NIV has the words, in the Spirit. It's actually as a footnote in the NIV. If you're following that, there's a little letter there, and you have to go down to the bottom to find those words. But those words are in the most reliable manuscripts and texts of this passage. So I don't believe we should omit them here. Paul, Luke is telling us in, that this Holy Spirit led Paul to this decision to go to Jerusalem. Now, if, if there's any doubt from chapter 19, we get confirmation in chapter 20, this verse that we looked at last week where Paul says to the Ephesian elders, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So the question then is, 
how did Paul know this? He felt he was compelled by God's Spirit, but how did he know it was the Spirit? Well, I think the answer to this really is in chapter 20, verse 24. And so here is a, we talked about this last week, this verse that really is, it captures Paul's purpose for life. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew what the big picture was. He knew what his life calling was. And because he had that in view, he was then able to discover God's will in the day-to-day of his life. And I think that's true for us too. When we get the big picture of God's call on us, then that helps us in discovering His will day to day. So if you're in God's Word, if you're seeking to live in obedience because His will, His revealed will is right here. And if you know what He's said here and are following that, then, and you're setting your life priorities according to God's priorities, then God is going to direct your life decisions as you walk through day to day. That's His promise. That's our faith walk with Him. So let me put it in another context to kind of think about it this way. If you're visiting someplace else and you're looking for a restaurant, you're gonna, we've got to find food, we're going to find a restaurant. So how do you find it? How do you make that decision? Maybe you go just ask Siri, you know, where should we go? Where's a place to eat? You look at your GPS, what's closest by? Or maybe you go to Yelp and look at some reviews of a restaurant nearby you. If you've never been there, you don't know. So you want help in this decision. However... There's something else that's going to direct that decision, and that is what you value most about a restaurant. So if your idea of a good restaurant is lots of food for not much money, then you're going to look for the place that has the $12.99 all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet, right? And that's going to be, that value is going to direct your decision. However, if you say, no, I much prefer the delicacies, the, just a little bit special food, and the presentation is everything to me. Well, that's going to be a completely different kind of restaurant. Or if your value is for speed and convenience, or if you want live music, whatever your value is, is going to drive your decision. And the same is true in the spiritual walk, in our spiritual lives. What you value overall for your life is going to drive those daily decisions that you make in life. And so, we need to understand that, like Paul, when we have the bigger picture of God's call on our lives and His purpose for our lives, that makes His will in our daily lives much clearer. Life values will drive those life decisions. So, a few other examples. If you value your witness for Christ, you know, my representation of Christ is of high value to me, then that's going to drive how I, the decisions I make about how I act toward the cashier at the, at the store or the, the postal worker that I may be having a little bit of wrestling match with over something. It, it, what I do, how I talk, how, what I say is going to be driven by my life value. If you value corporate worship like we're doing this morning, if that's a high value to you, then the decision about Sunday morning, whether to play golf or go shopping or go to church, it's pretty easy. That life value drives that individual decision. Or maybe if if you value your relationship, personal relationship with God and developing that relationship, then it's pretty easy if you come to a weekend, are you going to 
binge movies all weekend or spend some time in God's Word, well, that's a pretty easy decision once you have that life value in place. And if you choose God's values, if you choose God's will, then that commitment is going to be tested. You need to know that. The enemy is going to attack that, and that is exactly what happened with Paul. Here's our second principle. God's will can also be uncomfortable. It can be known, but if you follow it, it can be uncomfortable. So this passage in Acts 21 shows us the resistance that Paul faced. He makes a few stops on his route to Jerusalem, which was pretty common in in boat travel back in those days. So let me show you the map again here. So Paul has been, we've left him in Miletus, and now he travels on a few more port cities. The ship is stopping, but he crosses the Mediterranean and comes down here to Tyre. And when they, sh- when they stop down there in Tyre, the ship is going to unload some cargo, Luke tells us, and so they stop and they find a group of believers that are there. Notice verse 4 of chapter 21. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, wait, wait a minute here. What's going on? Paul believes the Spirit is telling him to go to Jerusalem, and now he meets with these believers, and they're saying, by the Spirit, no, Paul, we don't think God does want you to go to Jerusalem. It's too dangerous. What are you going to do? Who, who's right? Why would the Spirit tell these Believers to urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Okay, hold on to that question for just a minute. We're going to come back to that. But I want to take you one more step here because Paul goes on and moves on down the coast there as, as the travel continues toward Jerusalem, and they land in Caesarea. And here a prophet named Agabus comes all the way from Judea, and he brings a prophetic warning to Paul right there in Caesarea. You heard this read in the passage that, that Bert read a few minutes ago, and if you get our Trinity emails and you watch the video that Beth and I did yesterday, you got a little preview of this. And it's really a fascinating situation. This, this prophet Agabus comes, he takes Paul's belt off of his robe, I don't know, if it was a rope or whatever it was, he took it, and he ties, Agabus ties his own hands and his own feet, and then he says, the Holy Spirit says, here's the Holy Spirit Speaking again, in this way, the Jewish leaders in, in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, wouldn't you be a little taken aback by that if somebody did that to you, said that to you? And by the way, Agabus was not just some quack. I mean, he was a true prophet in Acts 11. He prophesied about a famine. That prophecy came true. The believers trusted his words, and so they were truly worried for Paul, which takes us to verse 12. When we heard this, We and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And now Luke is including himself here. He's with Paul's group, and now we have another group of Christians now in Caesarea who are begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So we have to ask some tough questions right here, right? Was Paul just being disobedient? Is he not listening? Did he misunderstand the Holy Spirit? I mean, if the Holy Spirit is prompting these warnings about what lay ahead in Jerusalem, shouldn't Paul have just opened his eyes and listened and said, wait, that's too dangerous. Obviously not. Don't go there. Is Paul just being stubborn? Does he just want to get there and be the one to deliver this gift to the apostles in Jerusalem? 
Because sometimes that happens to us, right? Sometimes we do get stubborn. We get stuck in our way. And even when friends or family or other people try to give us wise, godly advice, we just push them away. We don't want to hear it. That does happen in our lives sometimes. Times when we should stop and listen. And we don't. Kind of like this guy. Thunus Wessels from Alberta, Canada. Maybe you saw the story a couple years ago. He wanted to finish mowing the lawn. And his wife thought he should probably come inside. And here's why. <laughs> now, this is not a doctor picture. This is the real thing. It's out on the plains of Alberta, Canada. There's this tornado in view, and he's determined to finish mowing the grass. And when his wife said, you need to come inside, there's a tornado. He, you know what his response was? I'm keeping my eye on it. <laughs> is this Paul? Is, is Paul mowing the grass in a tornado? Is he saying, I'm going to get to Jerusalem no matter what, and ignoring spiritual advice? I don't think that's the case here. I think Paul was listening to his friends. He heard everything they said. He heard Agabus and his prophecy. But notice his answer in verse 13. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's the deal with Paul. He understood that the Spirit was warning him about the dangers and the trials that lay ahead in Jerusalem. No question about it. He heard all that. He knew that. But to him, those warnings were not given to stop him from going, they were given to prepare him for going. And there's a huge difference. This is how Paul understood God's will for him. Yes, these warnings were legitimate. Yes, the Holy Spirit was leading these people to give these warnings, but not to stop Paul, to prepare him. And just in case you need further proof that Paul was in God's will and what he did in going to Jerusalem, after the fact, we're going to get to this passage in a couple of weeks, but Acts 23, 11, give you a little preview here. God says to Paul, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. God's words, he was confirming. Paul had been sent to Jerusalem to testify and God was yet going to take him to Rome and that journey wasn't going to be any easier because God wanted him to testify there too. It was God's will. See, sometimes it's uncomfortable, even dangerous to obey God's will. But He prepares us for that, and He prepares us for the hard path that's to come. Last fall, Beth and I took a vacation week, and we went to Acadia National Park up in Maine. Beautiful place, beautiful spot, lots of God's wondrous creation all around us there. We'd never been there, so we asked some friends of friends who lived up in Maine to kind of give us some advice, you know, where to go, what to do, what to see, and even about trails and hiking and so on in the park. Well, in, they sent us a bunch of great material and information, and what, they told us about this trail called the Beehives. And they said, it's a, it's a great trail, but it is challenging. They told us about the danger. They said, you know, it's, there's some really narrow drop-offs and narrow trail and a cliff side, and, and you're going across in some areas, and I think I have a picture of some of this, where there's actually like a, uh, 
a railing, not a, even a railing, but a, a bridge or, or ladders that you have to climb to get up over rocks. They gave us warnings. Now, Beth read that, and to her, those warnings meant, don't go on that trail. <laughs> Obviously, we shouldn't do that. For me, those warnings were, absolutely, we want to go on that trail, but we're going to go and be prepared for it when we go. We know what's coming. So, I hiked the trail, and Beth did not. <laughs> we both follow God's will. But the point is, sometimes the warnings come to prepare us for what God has, because sometimes what's coming is hard. This is what Paul experienced. This is what it was for him. Sometimes God wants us to move forward even when it's hard, and even when others warn us that it's going to be hard. If what you're called to do squares with God's Word, it starts here, this is His revealed will, it's got to be right here first. And if through other ways you have, been, you have confirmed that this is what God wants you to do, then be obedient even if it's hard. Paul knew that his friends loved him. He knew they were concerned about his safety and his well-being. That's why they said what they said. But Paul also knew that his priority was to obey God. Didn't matter if it wasn't safe. He stood firm in his conviction to follow God's will, and sure enough, it did land him in trouble. So our next point, God's will can be misunderstood. Paul got to Jerusalem, and things began to happen. He arrives, he meets with James and the leaders of the church there. Pick up in verse 19. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Well, this is good news, right? He's brought back this report about the Gentiles and their response to the gospel. This is great news. But there's a problem. Some of the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem misunderstood Paul's message. Verse 20, then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. See, these Jerusalem church leaders <clears throat> were worried about that Paul's presence would cause this conflict because these Jewish believers in Jerusalem were still holding firmly to their Jewish roots. I'm not sure, maybe it came somewhere, but it doesn't show up here even a thank you for the gifts that Paul was bringing. Remember, he had gathered gifts from these Gentile churches, brought it to help the church in Jerusalem. Not much of a thank you. Instead, there's conflict. But this was a transition time, and that's why we have some of this conflict. These Jewish Christians are just trying to figure out how much of their Jewish tradition to bring into their new, new Christian faith. And so the Jerusalem leaders hatch this plan to prove that Paul is still Jewish enough. They say, okay, if we can just show them that you're still a Jew, it should be okay. So they ask him to join four of their men in taking a vow, going through the purification rites at the temple, and Paul agreed. And was this God's will for Paul? Did he do the right thing here? We're not told how Paul decided this, but it does fit 
with other things that Paul did because he was still a Jew. He was committed to, to testifying to the gospel and to being all things to all people in order to testify to the gospel. And in this case, that meant not causing offense to these Jewish Christians. And so Paul agrees. And I'm sure he would have made it clear that taking this vow and going through this tradition had nothing to do with his salvation in Christ. It didn't make him a better believer. He was seeking to promote unity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. But despite his efforts, there were non-Christian Jews from Asia that see him at the temple and begin to stir up trouble. Now, remember when Paul was in Asia, his first missionary journey, there was a lot of pushback. And so some of those Jews are in Jerusalem, just like Paul is for the festival. They see Paul, and now they're back at him again, just as they were in Asia. Verse 28, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place, meaning the temple. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Now, these accusations were not true, but they were serious enough to whip up a mob. And so they drag Paul out of the temple and they begin to beat on him, trying to kill him. And this Roman commander, they're there to keep the peace. So they step in, they pull Paul away from this mob and they arrest him. And the commander's trying to get reports, and Luke says they were all yelling different things, and so he orders that Paul be taken to the barracks. And the soldiers don't actually have to put Paul up on, on their shoulders to carry him out because the mob is still grabbing at him, trying to tear him to pieces. So what do we learn from all of this? Paul went to Jerusalem obeying God's will, despite the warnings that trouble awaited him there. And sure enough, the trouble came. But here's the principle. Obedience doesn't protect us from spiritual attacks. Obedience may put you in the place where the enemy might even attack more. That certainly happened for Paul. He sought unity. He was following God's will. Yet his enemies misunderstood him, falsely accused him. And in following God's will, you may be a misunderstood too. Just recognize that may happen to you. But it's okay. You just keep obeying and trust God. That's what Paul does. Years ago, I found myself in one of these rather uncomfortable situations. I had found out that a friend of mine, a guy who was in my men's group at our church, had been unfaithful to his wife, was having an affair, it was ongoing. When I found out about it, I felt led by God. I felt God's will for me was to step in and confront him. And those of you who know me know I, I hate conflict. I'm, this was not something I wanted to do. God was pressing me to do this. So I took a friend, another guy that was in that small group, and he and I went to this guy's office, closed the door, and confronted him right there face-to-face -face in his office about what he was doing. And my thought was, you know, if I do this, if I obey God and do this hard thing, then surely God's going to bring good out of this. He's going to listen to us. He's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, you are right. I, I, I forgive me, and I'm going to make it right with my wife and my kids. If I do the right thing, surely he's going to respond. That's not how it happened. And we said our piece, 
And he was livid. He just turned red. He was fuming. He was mad at us, threw us out of his office, wouldn't listen to us, wouldn't have anything to do with us after that. And as far as I know, never went back to his wife and kids. And it didn't end the way I wanted it to end. But it was still important for me to obey God and do what God led me to do. It was the hard thing, and it didn't go the way I wanted it. But it doesn't change the fact that my obedience was still important. And that's the case for Paul. He's obedient, and he gets nearly torn apart by a mob, but God rescues him out of that. It's important to obey because, and here's our last principle this morning, God's will is always best. God's will is always best. Now, there's a lot of other things about God's will that we can't always know. There, yes, there, are, there is mystery to God's will, and there are times when it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of thinking through and processing, but this one thing you can know is that God's will is always the best. It's the way Jesus prayed, and it's the way He taught His disciples to pray as well. Thy will be done. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It's the way Jesus prayed. Thy will be done. That's key because God's will is always best. Now, I've skipped a verse before. I want to go back to this verse, intentionally left it to come back to it. Paul said he was willing to go to Jerusalem even if it brought about his death. But when he said that, something happened to his friends, to those believers around him in Caesarea. Verse 14, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. What's going on there? I don't think Paul's friends just caved in. It's like, all right, Paul's bullheaded. We're never going to change his mind. Let him go to Jerusalem and get arrested. I don't think that's the attitude here at all. I think these friends, when they heard Paul's commitment, when they heard him say that he was willing to die for his Lord, that they said, yes, God's will be done. I think they came to realize that this trip to Jerusalem was God's will for Paul, even if it meant suffering, even if it was dangerous. And because this is what happened to Jesus in the garden, right? Following God's will sometimes means releasing our own will. Jesus' words in the garden of Gethsemane were, not my will, but thine be done. A releasing of one's own will to accept God's will. And I think that's what happened to Paul's friends right here. They released their will and their desire to protect Paul, and they accepted the will of God. And here leads to this principle. You are always better off in God's will and enduring tough circumstances than you are being out of God's will and enjoying what may be easy circumstances. The ease doesn't make it right. Better to be in God's will because His will is always best. And this is what we should keep in mind too when we're giving advice to others. Now, this is the other side of this. Someone comes to you and said, says, you know, I think God wants me to do this or that. How do, you, how do you advise? How do you help them in God's will? Well, recognize first that God's will may not always be the safest thing. I mean, sometimes that's our, our go-to as well, give advice that's going to be the safest kind of advice. Not necessarily. It wasn't in this case. We should say, the Lord's will be done. Paul's friends came to the right conclusion there. 
they moved from saying, don't go to Jerusalem, it's too dangerous, to saying, the Lord's will be done. He is in control. The 2022 Olympics have started. Maybe some of you have already watched a few events. Just the opening ceremony was Friday night, and so uh, a lot of exciting uh, sports going on during this Olympic time. But I want to take you to a story, not of this Olympics, but to an Olympics almost 100 years ago. I'm sure you probably remember the story of Eric Liddell, if nothing else, from the movie Chariots of Fire. In the 1924 Olympics, his convictions about running on Sunday kept him from running the 100-meter race. That was his race. He was the favored in that race. But because the race was held on a Sunday, or the, the heats at least for, and his conviction was not to run on Sunday, he had to drop out of that race. So instead, the team from Great Britain put him on the 400-meter race. Now, that does, it's, it's a little farther, that's all. But in a, for a runner, that's huge. That's four times the length he usually ran. It's, for a, a sprinter, that's like a 400 is like a marathon. And so nobody expected him to do well. It's too far. He's going to burn out. He's going to run out of energy. He's not going to make it. Well, as you know the story, he went on to win the gold medal and set a world record in the 400 meter in that Olympics. But his story didn't end there. In fact, maybe it gets even more interesting for us as believers. His conviction wasn't just about running on Sunday or not. His conviction was a life conviction. After that Olympics, when he could have gone on to continue running and gain more, perhaps more fame and fortune through running, instead he followed God's call in his life to be a missionary in China. And he died in a prison camp there at the young age of 34. 43. How could that be? He gave his life. And yet sometimes that conviction, that desire, that commitment to do God's will no matter what leads us to a hard place. If you just want a soft and comfortable easy life, don't follow Jesus because he never promised that it would be easy and comfortable and he certainly didn't model that himself. Paul didn't model that. But if you want your life to count for eternity then use this phrase often. This is a great phrase for us to put into our everyday. The Lord's will be done. We should say that often. We should be desiring that often, praying for that often. Even when it's difficult, the Lord's will be done. Even when it's unpopular, the Lord's will be done. Even when it's risky, yeah, the Lord's will be done in me. Even when it's uncertain, unclear, the Lord's will be done. So, what happened to Paul because of that? Well, you're going to have to read on into chapter 2 because 22, because 21 ends with Paul being arrested, going up the stairs. Or come back to Trinity next week. Pastor Nick's going to pick up at the end of chapter 21 or on into chapter 22, and you'll see the opportunity Paul's given. Because Paul did, does get arrested, but he doesn't die. It's not time yet. God has more for him. He continues to testify to God's grace in Rome. He's going to go to Rome, and he does it in Jerusalem and many other places in between. Because you see, when we submit to God's will, he accomplishes his best in us. And obedience always places us right where God can use us most. 
Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you so much for this passage, for the example of Paul and his life, and this reminder about what it means to to discern, follow your will. And I thank you, Lord, that we have this passage to guide us, to know that we can be confident in your will in our lives, and, and even when it's uncomfortable, even when we are misunderstood, that in following you, we are in the best possible place. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us that desire, that commitment, that that would be the, the words of our life to say, the Lord's will be done in me. And that that desire, that commitment would supersede everything else in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that even when things are hard, even when the waves are, seem to be crashing over our heads, that we can say in your hands, in your way, in your will, it is well with my soul. Lord, thank you for that confidence and that assurance that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.